This week, we're talking VCs. Do they bring enough to the table aside from just cash? Do they take too much credit for the success of the people in the businesses that they invest in? And do they need to think about the contribution to the insane amount of hype they contribute to unicorns in this country? Well, today, my guest, David Foreman, he's the co-founder and managing director of Praetoria Ventures, and he's here to answer all of those questions and a lot more. Right now, he's leading the charge to level out the funding landscape and making people ask for more than just money from VCs and promoting the investment landscape outside of London. Through Praetora, he coaches founders and helps them to go from 10 employees to hundreds. He's not afraid to give his opinion, and this should be a great discussion. Let's jump in. So you talk a lot about getting more than just money from VCs, okay? Like, as someone who is who has been through um, a couple of rounds and is about to go through another one. Like, tell me, like, what, what does that mean? What should I be looking for? Yeah, I mean, I talk a lot about more than money um, from, from VCs because that's what our VC is set up to do, right? So I think it's actually really important before we go into what does more than money mean and what does value add mean for VC, I think it's really important, you, you know, founders find the VC that fits best with them. Some founders, and we've met loads of them, don't they want relatively silent partners and that's perfectly okay but if you want a silent partner then be really clear that you want a silent partner and look for vcs who want to be a silent partner because if you want if you want a silent partner but then you get with a relatively you know proactive vc that's just a recipe for disaster right so it's not that trying to add value is the the only way to do vc the big thing for founders when they are talking to vcs is just Instead of just letting it wash over you and say, well, every VC says add value, ask them how. Ask them who is going to be involved in my company. In what capacity are they going to be involved in my company? And then, you know, if you're really doing your diligence and you're getting close to, invest, you're getting close to investment with a VC, ask to speak to founders they've already backed. And not just the three or four founders that are doing the best who were clearly flavor of the month. and Because that, as a VC, when a business is really flying, it's great. It's easy to have a great relationship because everything's kind of going the way you want it to go. The real test of a VC is when things aren't quite going to plan. So I would say to, to founders, if they're, looking, if they're getting close to an investment from a VC, pull up the list of, of, of businesses they've backed from their website and you select who you want to talk to. Not, Ask the VC, who then will inevitably give you the three people who like the most that month. Like that's not diligent. It's the same as when we do diligence on the on the businesses we back. We want to speak to customers and we want to speak to pipeline customers. But we don't just say, "Well, tell us, give us the first three, because we know that the three the company gives you are going to be the ones who love them the most at, at the moment. So that's not diligent. I, I think founders. The founder VC relationship is a strange one where there's a, there is an imbalance of power because VCs have the money and founders are wanting the money. But I think a lot of founders are afraid to do their own diligence, afraid to ask to do their own diligence on the VC and to really question why are you, the VC, right to come onto you know, my cap table? We've, we've got a saying of your priority is that, you know, I think a lot of VCs think the founders are lucky to be on their bus. Whereas, in, in our opinion, we're lucky to be on the founders' bus. They, you know, they're the one; they're the the real talent. They're the ones who are really taking the businesses forward. They're the ones who are going to go and change the world. 
as a VC, you're not going to change the world, right? You're just not. So we feel like we're lucky to get to be part of some of these great businesses that we've, we're, we've been able to back. And I think founders, as they are looking for investment, should really focus on that. Why let this VC be part of your, of your team, not I really hope the VC wants to invest? And also, if you don't like your VC, don't do a deal with them. No, nah, Because you're going to be with them for don't. a long fucking time. If you don't love each other on day one, it's, it's just a yeah. fucking nightmare. It is not nightmare. Yeah. From, because it won't be perfect. It won't go well. It won't, not everything, it's not a linear progression from raise VC capital to exit for 100 million quid no. or whatever the number might be. It's just not that. So if you're not kind of massive fans of each other on day one and prepared to have you know, real conversations, then you just, it's just, you're setting yourself up for misery. Yeah. Yeah. Absolute misery. And also when they, and also VCs are pushy. They give you a yeah. hard time. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think they can do. Um, I don't think they have to. There's no they? rule that says VC has to be pushy, arrogant wankers who tell you how to run your business. That is not a rule of life. It might be a perception of the VC industry, and I think the VC industry has a bad perception. Some of it's justified, some of it's not. But there's no rule that says it has to be a difficult relationship. So many people and so many founders have the perception that it's a bad relationship or a bad experience that somebody must be doing something wrong. Do you think, and why do you think that is? Do you think that's because from day one, and I'd love to get your view on this, people don't necessarily align what it is they're trying to do, where they're trying to get to. Because if you go into a pitch to VC, right, you don't want to go in there and be like, yeah, I want to get you 3X on your money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there's three reasons why the relationship can break down. The first is, that on the way in and, and assessing the business and pitching the business and the, before you've done the deal, you've both told lies to each other. So the founder's obviously going to give the most optimistic view of everything they can possibly do. And they will know that their plan they've put together probably isn't reality because every single plan we see has the hockey stick in year four or five and it's going to be a unicorn and we're going to all... And, and the reality is it, that's not real. And I think most founders know it's not, that's not really what's going to happen, but it's kind of what I've got to show. I think on the same time, the VC is saying things and telling the founder, you know, the VC has got to market to the founder because the founder, no point, it's no good being a VC. I'm finding great founders to back and great companies to back if the founder doesn't pick you as the VC. So you've got to be invited onto the cap table. And therefore, you're, as, a, as a VC, you're selling to the founder. And I think a lot of VCs sell things they're not willing or wanting to do post-investment about all the support they're going to give and all the help they're going to give. If you look at most VCs, they're tiny companies. There's very few people. And if you look at their portfolios, they've got 30, 40, 50 portfolio companies. How can you possibly give all that support to the companies if you haven't got the resources to be able to do it? So I think one thing is both parties are showing their best, their absolute best side before they invest. And the reality is post-investment, that doesn't always come to pass. The second reason why I think the VC founder relationship can fall down is because the VC you know, often puts people on the board who have never run a company. You know, in America, VCs generally are much more 
founder-led. I think it's some ridiculous stat, like 8% of VCs in the UK are founder-led. And if you've never run a company, if you're a finance person from a finance background, you've never run a company, but then your VC is saying, we're value-add, we're value-add. There's, there's this pressure, I think, on a lot of people who work in VCs to go and sit on a board. They may be a bit inexperienced. They maybe haven't done this forever. And they are being told by their VC, we are value-add, we are value-add, we're going we're gonna to help. And they feel, and they sit in board meetings, and they feel pressure to say something and do something. And as soon as a VC says something, the founder, because that's the VC, immediately takes it to heart and tries to work on it. And you just end up in this scenario where someone inexperienced is saying to someone else who's potentially experienced as an inexperienced founder, this is what you should do. And it becomes law because the VC said it. I think VCs have to really understand the, the dynamic of a, board, of a board situation with their portfolio companies and also understand that what they say has a power to it because they're the funder and therefore they've got to be really careful not to just say things because they feel like they've got to make a contribution if they if they're not needed or can't add any value then shut up just let the business carry on if it's going well let it carry on um so i think that you know there's there's lots of reasons why the relationship break down but a lot of it comes down to i think misalignment of understanding where where each party sits, you know, a VC's role in any VC founder relationship should be to help the founder build the best business they can. It's that simple. Like, there's no more to it. And sometimes helping the founder build the best business they can will be to sit back and let the founder crack on. Sometimes it will be to bring in experienced people to try and help the founder, mentor the founder, help the founder grow as a founder CEO. But I think a lot of times it's just really tempting for a VC to you know, go to the board meeting or speak to the founder every week and just feel like we've got to do something, so I'll say something. And that then sets people off on paths that perhaps isn't the right way of, go right way of going for that company. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think anyone who's listened to definitely experienced that if they've raised money, we've all been there. So a couple of things I want to drill into there. One, what does that mean, add value? Because <clears throat> I get it all the time. I speak to a VC and he's like, Tommy, we're going to add some real value here. That's what we specialize in. I'm like, by value, do you mean you're adding valuation? <laughs> do you mean you're adding, like, what are you doing? So some VCs can definitely add value in valuation, right? Absolutely. So you get yeah. certain names on your cap table, you know, the chance of you becoming a unicorn go up massively <laughs> because there are certain names, the sequoias of this world, who... If they back you, your chance of success are massively increased. And that's one way of adding value. I think what's, what's important for adding value is got to understand how you as a, each individual VC thinks they are adding value. So some are adding value through the contacts and the network that they've got and you know, being able to introduce a founder to lots of potential customers. That is one way. It's not our way because, frankly, finding customers is the job of the founder and the business. Like, we can't be an outsourced sales engine for, some, for, for a business we back because that's not scalable. But I think when, you know, every VC talks about adding value, I think the way that we would try and add, add value is by introducing the founder to, we've got a network of people called Operational Partners who've been there, seen it, and done it. So 
one of our operational partners, Colin Green, two years ago was in Cupertino running Apple's global consumer retail business, $17 billion budget. Solid. Um, he's now back in the Northwest, weirdly, and working with us and working with our founders. He knows he's got some of that Apple magic and operational expert expertise to be able to talk to founders about what they should potentially be thinking about as they scale their business. Because we all know Apple knows what the shit it's doing. Right? Yeah, they, they got an idea. They, they've got, they know what they're up to. Yeah. Um, similarly, one of our other operational partners is um, Steve Corns, who was CFO, CEO of AO.com. So was with them from 7 million of revenue to north of a billion. He knows how to scale a business. He's seen some of the challenges that you have as an early stage business. He's also seen the challenge of raising capital. And he's also been through that journey from raising capital as a, you know, a small um, privately backed company through to IPO. So he can, add, he can add some weight and some experience to founders that he, work, that he works with in our portfolio about how they should be thinking and what they should be focusing on. Not telling them how to run the business, but applying some you know, logic and some experience of this was something I struggled with. And you know, Steve's very, very big in, when he talks to our founders about you know, find those two, three, four things that you really need to do really well, focus on them, and kind of let the, other, let the rest of the business kind of, you know, don't, don't run around and do, try and do everything. Do two or three things really, really well. Focus your expertise on that and the scale will come. And that's something we, that we find a lot when we're talking to founders about, so. That makes absolutely sense. So uh, you kind of got to the question I wanted to ask you earlier. You, you see a lot of businesses go from something to something. Yeah. You know, but they tend to be quite small and then they end up ideally being very big. Yes, ideally, that's the, yeah, that yeah. is the game plan of VC. Otherwise, you're shitting your job, right? Yeah, so, yeah. that is true. But the, um, I, you specialize in coaching founders in that journey from what, like 10 to 100, 10 to 200? Yeah, 10 to 100, something that I can speak about sort of firsthand. Yeah. Um, and then obviously other people who are around us and help with the businesses are available for that kind of 100, 100 plus. But I think the real challenge and the bit that I see a lot of founders working through is that it's very, I think it's very easy to be a dynamic founder of a business and driver of a business at 10 20 30 people because you know everybody and you've recruited everybody and and they've been with you on a journey and they've seen the growth and things like that that 30 to 100 is where it gets really tricky in my opinion because suddenly you've got heads of departments you've got c-suite people to recruit you you've got to you know you've got to go and find really quality people who are prepared to come with you on that journey, buy into the mission of the business. And it's not just a case of wandering down to your local recruitment consultant saying, I need some people, and they arrive and you, you crack on. The market's very competitive. So that, that 30 to 100 is really tricky. Um, and it's a, part, it's a time when a founder really has to change their role. They're not involved in everything. They're managing a team of people they're focusing on the two or three key things like i said before and they've got to trust the people they've recruited to do their jobs and the most important part of that trust is understanding that if somebody in your c-suite or in your leadership team your smt does something in a way that is different to the way you would have done it that doesn't mean it's wrong you know that just means it's a different way of of getting to the outcome so and that is really difficult for founders because 
usually founders have got a real passion for what they set up. You talked about it, you know, in terms of the, doing something you love, got a real passion for it. They've got a real vision for where they want to get to. And oftentimes they've got a real way they want the business to run. And whilst you can impart some of that, you know, throughout the entire business, at some point you've got to understand that it's now an organization that is its own thing, not one founder or two founders thing where whatever they say goes and, and everyone just follows, you know, blindly the, the founder's vision. So that bit is really difficult and it's something that founders, I think lots of founders have read the books on it. I think lots of founders have talked to people about it, but it's just a difficult thing to do in practice. And not every founder is cut out to be a great CEO of, of the business they founded. And that's another difficult thing to, to work out and to come to grips with and to, uh, to sort of be mature enough to understand this might not be the best thing for my business, might not be for me to be you know, the leader of the business and that sort of discussion of, do we need a professional CEO? That comes usually later than 100 people, but we should be thinking about it as we're growing the business. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. So what, um, what practical advice can you give? So if you're... It's a difficult journey. Like we, I've, I've been through that journey myself as well, and it's ah, it's hard. Yeah, it's difficult. It's like, fucking hard. It's a fucking shit time when you walk. Th- well, I I found it really difficult when you walk through an office. And you're like, I don't know who you are. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, I have. I don't have There's a, a moment. There's yeah. a moment when you like you either come back from holiday and you find people in the office who you've never met. Yeah. You recruit people who you might not have recruited. You know, your teams recruited them. You don't know what they do at the weekend, where the, you know, what their partner's name is. Even worse, they might not know who you are. I mean, that's the real killer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes you do get the, oh, what do, and what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Again, I've had the, the classic where you're in the lift and they're like, oh, hi, so are you new? No, 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 this is me. This is my business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, um, oh, I get it. No, it's, um, it's rough, but like, um, w- because you see this quite a lot, what practical advice would you give? And also, like, I certainly believe that there is things you can do, and I'd love to get your view, to prepare for when that happens. Because if you start building from day one with the vision that you're going to get to 100 and you start setting things out early on, yeah. it makes it a lot easier because you look back and think, do you know what? I wish I'd done. Yeah? Yeah, the bit, the, the bit that I, I'm really passionate about is I've seen personally the benefit of mentorship. A mentorship's a really, it's quite an awkward conversation to have, right? You sort of chatting to someone who's been there, seen it, done it, you really respect them, you you love talking to them about your business and then you ask that really awkward question of will you be my, my mentor and it sounds a bit like you're in primary school you know <laughs> and asking your first first girlfriend or boyfriend do, do you want to go out with me yeah, yeah. um will you be my and, mate yeah exactly <laughs> will you be my friend basically is the question and but i'm a massive advocate having sort of been through it you know i'm very lucky i've got a couple of, of mentors one of them is steve corns who you know who, who's chairman of Prochura Ventures, the bit of, the business, bit of Prochura that, that I run, like the amount of stuff I've learned, not because he's told me the answer, because he's kind of guided me through the problem and then 
helped me find my own way of of answering it and so i'm a massive fan of founders you know really trying to find themselves someone who can mentor them to help them go through that journey who can provide that independent sounding board to this is what i think or this is what i'm feeling or i'm really worried about x or y because the independence and that sort of sounding board really can help them just see things a bit clearer because if you just you know, so many founders are heads down in the business and you can drive yourself mad or convince yourself of anything in that scenario. Whereas having some, someone independent say, actually, what do you think about this? Really helps. So my, you know, my bit of advice for what it's worth is definitely, you know, founders need to surround themselves with people who they can talk to. Yeah. Who might not be involved in the business from a financial perspective, Maybe they are, you know, some of our operational partners in, in our business or act as mentors, some of our founders. But I think it's really useful to get a founder, to get a mentor who's not in the business, not financially motivated by the outcome, but is doing it because they want to help you as a founder become a better founder, a better CEO, a better person, you know, a better yeah. person of running the business. I, yeah. I mean, I'm so in with that. I think um, there's a wonderful saying that people have is that um, about founders, uh, sorry, mentors, is the best mentors very rarely uh, tell you anything. They just make sure you ask the right questions. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, uh, that's what they're great for. You know, yeah. They're just like, have you, you know, get you to the right questions you need to ask the business. Also, I think, um, personally, mate, I'm, I'm obsessed with mentors. You know, anyone who works with me hears me say, ah, my mentor said this. I've got I mean, yeah. seven that I yeah. speak to you all the time. You cannot get enough collective wisdom. No. Also, <clears throat> anyone who's listening, like you may think that someone who is stratospherically successful may have literally no interest in working with you. But I tell you now, like I have some, yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not public, but they are, they're definitely tier one guys. I just dropped them a note on LinkedIn. And I was like, hey, would you mind helping me out with this? I just got a few things and I just need some support. And they were like, and yeah, some of them just, talk, just didn't reply or ghosted me. And was, but I'll tell you, you, you ask people, some of them will say yes. And the value from that is exponential for what it does for you as a founder. A hundred percent. I mean, so many people, especially in, the, especially in the startup scene, especially in the VC world, so many people who've been there, seen it, done it, been successful, you know, had a successful career, want to help the next generation yeah, of early stage founders. Yeah, it's interesting actually. I think um, certainly the best founders I work with in my portfolio, they're all just talent magnets because they know that they have their gaps in their skill set and they just attract talent into filling those gaps. And that's, that's what they do, yeah. The best founders are definitely talent magnets who will get really insanely talented people to work with them on building their vision of, of the business. And also very self-aware to know I'm crap at that. I'm crap at that. I don't enjoy that. Let's get people into to build to do those bits for them. That's you know, that's something that's really, really important in as as people scale that sort of C suite management, SMT, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Having great people doing the bits that you're not good at or frankly you don't want to do, that's that is the that is the only way to scale. If the founding team aren't self-aware enough to know they can't do everything then that's a limiting factor in the growth of the company yeah uh, because there's only so many hours in a day i'm literally the most southern person you can be because i'm from the isle of Wight. yeah <laughs> and you talk a lot about bringing funding to the north which strikes me as incredibly prejudiced 
um, to the <laughs> south. But what um, talk to me about that? I guess that we we do probably get a bit of uh, of an advantage here in London in that most VCs are here. So, oh, I mean, practically all VCs are in London. Well, you're not. <laughs> no, but I think we yeah. we count as a massive outlier. In, yeah. Yeah, there aren't many. There's, you know, there's a couple in Edinburgh, there's a couple in, in Manchester, and then everyone else in London. I think, you know, we do talk about, we do talk passionately about bringing investment to the north. There's, there's, the reason we do it is the two reasons. One, it's where we are, and it's where, we, where we're based, and it's where we've, where we've kind of grown up. We also see it as a huge opportunity because, you know, most VCs, m- most founders and most startups seem to be in London. Most VCs are in London. It's completely understandable for VCs in London to focus on backing founders in, in London because even though the communication thing has now you know, massively changed since COVID, face-to-face time and meeting people in person, is you just can't beat it. Zoom, Teams, it does a great job. It's better than doing conference calls, but it's not, it's not real life. Um, so it makes sense for London, London VCs to invest in London entrepreneurs, but there is no monopoly on talent in the UK. You know, it's just that it happens to be that there is a startup ecosystem, a founder ecosystem in London that's more developed than anywhere else in the country. That's, that's not to say there aren't magnificent, exceptional founders based in the North, in Manchester, in, London, in Liverpool, in Leeds, in Sheffield, in Newcastle. They will exist. They just haven't got the same exposure to, the, to funding. And therefore... That creates a self-fulfilling prophecy of most unicorns are in London. Um, we see it as a huge opportunity because there's an opportunity to invest in businesses where we haven't got as much competition. VC is a competitive space. I said it before. There's no point finding great founders if you're not chosen to be the one to invest in that business. Um, so we, we see it as an opportunity. It's a bit of a green, green field space. I think the other reason is it's just the right thing to do. Um, you know, England is or the UK is incredibly London centric. And that's not that's not a great thing for the UK in general in general. We can't have, you know, the every bit of talent, you know, coming down to London to find fame and fortune. It's just it's it's not sustainable within within the UK. So one of our missions is to, you know, really try and generate that sort of founder startup community in the north of England. So Founders who have had funding from from VCs can get an opportunity to meet other founders, and and as they do that, they get this collective shared knowledge, and then they understand more just through osmosis and communication. They understand more about the funding landscape and the pitfalls of VC, and what makes a good VC and what makes a bad VC. And yeah, you know, one of our ideals is to help create you know that healthy competition to London. We'll never be in the north as big as London, or the 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 ecosystem won't be as big in London. It's so incredibly unambitious of you. It uh, well, uh, maybe I'm just that. Maybe I'm just that pragmatist. HS five <laughs> or whatever it's going to be. I mean HS two, yeah, because yeah, it's really important that we get from Lo- London to Manchester in forty five minutes. It's essential. Like, yeah, it's, it's essential. essential. Nothing yeah. nothing will change unless that happens. Correct. I genuinely think that there is a need for startups, the SME, you know, SME SMEs drive the economy of the UK. There's no reason why London should have the monopoly on, you know, early stage tech founders who are, you know, trying to change the world. I think that's great. We're quite big on trying to dispel 
myths and mystery here on the show. Um, trying to lift the lid on stuff. Well, lift the lid probably sounds a bit like we're releasing some kind of scandal, unless you've got one. You can show uh, it. No scandals here. Damn it. Okay. Uh, but lift that veil of uh, mystery. You know, we're trying to find out like what what actually is going on in these conversations. What is a a myth that you see that founders and VCs believe, but it's not actually real? I think the the most obvious um, sort of one of that is as a VC and a, and a founder sort of begin to talk about where the business is going to go and the funding they need. And, you know, I, I don't know who brings it up, but a lot of times we end up in the conversation says, this is the last funding round that this business needs. And I think both sides know that's bullshit. And I'm pretty sure no one actually believes that's the case. And, and to be honest with you, if it goes well, it definitely won't be the last last funding round. Because, Ironically, it's almost yeah, more likely yeah, to do more. As it goes well, it's yeah. like, well, this is really working. Let's throw more money in. Let's throw more people in and we'll go quicker and quicker yeah. and quicker. But I, there seems to be a thing where both the VC and the founder just plays the game that says, this could be the last funding round. We can, you know, we'll, we're going to use this capital and we're going to invest and then we're going to make some sales and then we'll get back to cash flow break even and profitability and then and then the exponential hockey hockey stick comes in and i th- i'm i'm pretty sure both sides know that's not the case i'm pretty sure that both sides know deep down that there will be another funding round for good or bad um and that ev- most of the assumptions that are in the model that underpin that view to say we're going to get back to cash flow break even are probably not true but we all go through the dance. And I'm not quite sure why we do. And I'm not quite sure how. Oh, and we all go through it. I'm not quite yeah, sure how you, how you break it. Um, but we all do it. And I don't know why we do it. Yes, yeah, sure as well. And it's almost like if you're in that meeting, you don't want to be like, and this will fund us to Series A. You don't want to say that. You don't want to, because you're like, you want to say, yeah, and this is funding us to exit. Yeah. Yeah. I, Maybe it's a differentiator. Maybe think, you're trying to make yourself stand out. I think some, I think, you know, some of the very best founders do do that. This is going to get us to Series A. Um, but they still will present some option that says that won't be the case. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree with you. I think it's, yeah, it's probably a, that psychology of a founder. You're always trying to differentiate yourself. We're the one. We're the, we, are, we are that magical beast. I was yeah. going to say unicorn. Can't then, say we can't, can't be a unicorn, mate. No, no one cares. You've got to be a decacorn. If you go I, in and say you're going to be a unicorn, they're like, shut up, stop being so unambitious. Yeah, yeah. some of our founders have started talking about decacorn. Fucking decacorn. I got a decacorn chat the other day and I was like, shut up. I said, I tell you what, I tell you what, the, one of the other, actually, just thinking about that, one of the other things that I've, I'm not sure this is a myth, but it's, uh, you don't have to, as a founder, you don't have to tell the VC that you're going to be a unicorn. It's okay not to have mm, that ambition. That's true. Um, I spend most of my time whenever a founder, I, whenever I speak to a founder and they tell, you know, they'll sit across from me and we're talking and going, well, I quite like what they're doing. I quite like them. I quite like, and then we get into the, why are you doing this? And, and the re I'm looking for the really, why are you doing this? Not, I'm going to become, we're going to, I'm going to create a unicorn. I'm like, no, no, forget the money, right? The money will take care of itself. Why are you doing this? What is the reason you're, you're here. Why is this important to you? Why have you decided to devote your life to this? And I want to get the real backstory of why have you, why have you started this company? Why have you got to this point? What made you believe what you believe? What, what made you first see the problem you're trying to solve? I want to get into the real kind of the detail of 
why that you know why are you driven the way you are to to do this and too many founders just want to keep telling me we're going to be a unicorn i'm like well yeah great well we can all work out that we're all going to make loads of money if you do become a unicorn but you don't found a company to become a unicorn you found a company to do something about you know change the world fix a problem do something good with your with your life whatever it is and, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs just can't get away from just trying to turn the conversation with a VC into how much money am I going to make you as a VC? Because I think that's what they think we, are, we care about. Yeah. Whereas every VC I talk to, they really care about the mission of the business, the purpose of the business, the, the why of, you know, yeah. the why exists. And the money will take care of itself yeah i get that i think also like people think that there is a the only wrong answer there is being disingenuous like if you're if someone's if you're speaking to a founder and they're like look actually look i'm just i'm hyper financially motivated and i'm going to do anything i can to make this business successful to get it over there it's like that's fine as long as you're super motivated you're going to be working all the time i don't mind i really care about this this problem that's great I've got a chip on my shoulder about the fact that people think that I'm stupid and I'm going to prove to everyone that I'm not stupid and I can really do this. That's fine. Just be honest about why you're doing this. Because yeah. if that drives you and that makes you a success, that's great. But don't be doing it because of me. Don't do it because you want to make me rich. Yeah, yeah that's not, that's not, what you, that's not going to be enough for you. No, no, yeah. one, no one cares enough about the VC's return. Yeah, yeah they really don't. They really don't, home. yeah. No one exactly. cares. Exactly. All right, last one. Um, we're doing this new thing. Um, called the startup sin bin where we're just chucking shit things in the sin bin that happens all the time in the founder startup and vc world if you could chuck one thing in there what would you put in there there appears to be this growing trend i think this happens in the world generally but specifically in vc where you're not a good person if you don't give detailed detailed feedback on on the pitch you've just had or you've just read a pitch deck and you know if I take Prochura, we see 200 plus a, a month. We see 3 billion of funding requests a year, right? And we meet a proportion of those and we take some of those forward. But the world seems to have become obsessed with, you know, as a founder, you deserve really, really detailed feedback on what your business is and why so-and-so doesn't want to invest and what's wrong with the business and what is the reason for the rationale. What's the rationale for not investing? And I look at that and think, I just think it's flawed because if you've only read the pitch deck and it's not in your sector and it's not, not something you, that excites you, the only, re, the only answer the founder really needs is no. And they need a no quickly. They don't need a VC who's spent half an hour reading the pitch deck to give them any advice on how to run that business or what to do or what's wrong with the business or what they should be differently. A, it's insane arrogance from the VC world to be able to think they can give real valuable feedback after an hour meeting or a half an hour reading a pitch deck. And B, the founder just needs to know that the VC is not going to invest. The rest of it is utterly irrelevant. Um, and, it, and it becomes something that I've seen a lot where people really kind of really feel passionately about that there should be really detailed feedback. You see it as well on interviews. But, you know, if, if you're interviewing for a job and you have 100 interviewees, you need to give each one of them detailed feedback on why 99 of them haven't got the job. But the reality is a lot of times it's a 
gut feel it's a thing and mm. it's like um um the world's got hung up on feedback and and i just look at it and think the only feedback you need is yes or no and a vc has an absolute requirement to be polite absolute requirement to if it's going to be a no give them a give founders a quick no yeah you can have a great experience with a vc even if they don't invest but i think you just don't need to go into too much detail when it's a no it's if it's a no it's a no and nothing that the founder does on the back of that feedback will change it if it's not in sector or it's not in scope or or just it doesn't excite the vc it's not going to move forward so just i think it's the most appropriate way to deal with that is just no it's not in our sector it's not in our thing or it's just it just doesn't we just don't get excited about as much as we need to and on that basis we're out like that's the feedback you need not here's 10 points of some fairly generic rules of thumb that we've decided based on having met you for an hour or read your pitch deck like that doesn't help anybody doesn't make anybody feel any better doesn't change the outcome i just don't understand why we're always so obsessed now on feedback yeah it's because people are people are like too worried about um the fact is and you're right like if if and also there is something as a founder where someone gives you feedback and you're like do i need to act on this yeah what may i mean you i've deified you as a vc and you've come back to me and said, actually, yeah, I don't think your numbers are quite realistic. And you're like, wow, oh, all right. What does that mean? Yeah, like, I don't know what that fucking means. I actually, weirdly, I had um, feedback as I was going through the process where one fund said no to me because they thought that my, um, my, if my forecasts were unambitious. And I was like, I was like, mate, so I mean. Well, you, you, yeah. On that basis, you you are absolutely killed both ways, right? So if you send a stupid, yeah, yeah. ambitious set of forecast, what do they think? Yeah, well, I'm with you, mate. Stupid exponential growth. If you send an unambitious set of forecast, then oh, you're not ambitious enough. It, both bits of feedback in that are just utter just bullshit. Like that, just like it's that. just yeah. There is loads of bits around the feedback. You know, the reason a VC says no, one, it doesn't fit with their investment thesis. No founder will ever get past that barrier right no serious vc will invest outside of their investment thesis no matter who the no matter who the founder is a lot of times it comes down to a you know the quick nose or the the nose when you sort of you have a meeting it's like this sounds relatively interesting but i don't love it enough this sounds like an interesting problem i just don't think it's a big enough problem yeah this solution sounds cool but i think 10 10 other people might be able to do it or you know, the, the real important bit on feedback might be, I'm just not sure you as a founder or founding team are going to be able to execute on this. But that's the one bit of feedback that a VC will never, ever give because no one wants to be that dick that says, I quite like the business, but I just don't back you as a founder. Like, no VC's ever said that no, in, in yeah. the world. But that is probably one of the biggest of reasons for a no. Of course it is. All right. This has been great. Thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, best of luck uh, moving all the talent up north. Thank you. That's, that, is our, that is our sole ambition. Exactly, yeah, because the, we- <laughs> the weather's better. Yeah. <laughs> that, that definitely isn't true. But the food is better. Do no, people, that's not true either. The food is better. I don't care what people say. I'm, I'm all about that northern cuisine. Yeah. I can't help feeling there's a little bit of sarcasm in your voice there. 